Welcome to Culture Hackers. I'm your host, Robbie Richmond. And today we have Cherie Alexander, really cool influence expert who studied CIA, secret agents, spies, and figured out their influence techniques and shares them for how we can use them in business. And Cherie and I are big fans of really conversational podcasts where you cover anything and everything, even our personal lives, and people get to just overhear a really fun, interesting conversation. So that's the approach we took with this. I've got brand new podcasting gear that's not going to really come online till a few episodes from now. So this isn't the best audio quality, but I hope you'll stick with it because we've got some really good stuff coming up. Um, this one was done just with a snowball mic, but now I've got a whole studio style setup coming up in a few episodes. Um, without further ado, here, here is, bah, here is me and Cherie. Okay, what's up, Culture Hackers? This is Robbie Richmond. We've got a real fun episode for you here. We are at Influence Headquarters mm-hmm. here with Cherie Alexander. That's me. Yeah. And I'm so psyched to be here and to be talking to you, Cherie, because as we were talking before we set this all up, you and I are both fans of podcasts where yes. it's just anything happens, yes. not the whole like specific interview format of the expert. Um, but just whatever goes, goes. Yeah, I love just real conversations mm-hmm. where one idea leads to the next, leads to the next, and you just never know what's going right. to happen. So speaking of that, you you as a conversational expert, you, like, well, <laughs> already getting into expert talk, <laughs> but I'm just, you, we're just rolling with the conversation. Yeah. So do you have a hack for getting into real conversation? Oh, yeah, I have a few. Um so most people know the adage of we have two ears and one mouth, so yeah. use them in that ratio. Right. Um, but putting that into practice is still difficult for yeah. a lot of people. So we have a natural mindset that when people are speaking, then we are just waiting for our turn to speak. Yeah. And I kind of help people flip that on its head to ease them into better conversations. And instead of wondering what you're going to say next, it's what you're going to ask next. So Um. just simply by asking more questions, and people have a tough time with that sometimes, so what I tell them is when somebody's telling you a story, envision their, or put a picture in your mind, like Mm -hmm. a a movie playing in your mind, and wherever the gaps are, then that's what you ask questions about. Like, so if they're saying, oh, back when I was in high school, well, you don't know exactly where high school was. Was it in Ohio or was it in Southern California? And then you ask them, oh, yeah, where did you go to high school? And just you fill in those details with questions, I, and that leads to better I totally get that. I love doing that. I really love when people do that with me. Mm-hmm. Have you ever gotten this, though? I've gotten feedback sometimes that people feel like they're being interrogated. So that could be, I don't know, is that just me and my style is just interrogation style or have you heard this before? (laughs) Well, it could be because the other side of it is what I get from people is I regularly hear people say, I've never told anybody that before. That's awesome. I, you know, like, like I've, I've, there's very few people I've said this to or wow, I'm telling you so much. I never share this much with people this early. I get that very often. So it may be in your style that is a little bit too pointed. Mm. Maybe you have to come out of from a few different angles That's good um, advice. because if they do feel like they're on the hot seat rather than in a conversation and sharing, then it puts a little different vibe to it. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Cool. I like that one. Yeah. It's one of my, it's a blog post slash lesson I'm wanting to teach in my monthly coaching group is 
how to get people to tell you things they never tell anybody else. Right. Yeah. Because you, what, you studied, like, FBI people, spies, all those things like that. Yeah. So, like, what's, you know, you and I are both familiar with this concept, right, that that in this whole info product kind of world, you give away some of your best stuff so that people know you've got great stuff, right? Right. So, like, what's what's your really good shit? I always hate this. I always hate this. And the reason why is because... Maybe maybe it's my own head block, yeah. or maybe the belief I hold is true, but the belief that I have is, you know, what's my best for one person in one situation, it may not be my best for somebody else, because that's the beauty that I love about communications, yeah. is you got to stay on your toes, and you have to know your mark, and, and for the people listening, the person that I refer to as the person you're trying to influence <laughs> is your mark. I'm not saying you're putting a hit out on anybody. <laughs> it's just, this is your mark. This is your point of focus in the conversation. Yeah. And so, I mean, my best stuff, ah, in a sound bite, a lot of people like the conversation about ego suspension That's because, nice. um, so ego suspension is that the best influencers for a period of time are able to, suspend their own personal judgments, suspend their own values operating system because the mission to connect with this person is more important than to stick to their guns about their own values. That's really cool. And that's what, yeah, that's what the CIA agents have to do. That's what military intelligence and interrogators have to do. That's what con artists do. And taking it out of that clandestine world and bringing it into our world, I think it's so powerful that your mission to connect with somebody is more important than you proving a point about your beliefs or values. And I'm kind of giving the 30,000 foot view on this, but one of the biggest stories and I, 80% of the time I tear up when I tell this. So, so (laughs) just fair warning. Um, but one of the gentlemen I interviewed was a, in his military intelligence. And so he was the guy who went out with the teams and made contact with people in the villages to figure out, hey, you know, where are the bad guys? Where are the guns? And just had conversations with people. Um, so he was out on deployment and was with a um, a caravan. Uh, uh, that's not the right word. Uh, um, uh, I can't think of the right word at the moment. But, um, you know, out with, there's like five Humvees out in the desert and they're driving from one place to another. And uh, they got hit by a bomb and so three out of the five got hit very badly and and these are his guys and now he has he has brothers in arms that are now dead mm-hmm. and uh through twist of fate or whatever they saw one of the people out there who could have been you know responsible for placing this and so they they captured him they detained him they put him up against the the truck and so my contact had to sit down and have a conversation with this guy and say, look, this is the information we need. You know, what's up ahead? Are there, is there anybody around? Where are the threats? And he said, like, this is, and, and the guy did confess, like, yeah, you know, I, I put it there, blah, blah, blah. Um, and my contact said it was the most difficult thing because this guy just killed my guys. This guy killed my men right, right. now. And, they're over there and, you know, tr- you're trying to apply medical care and all that. And yet he had to suspend all of that for however many minutes to connect with this guy and say, look, 
this is just what I need. I just need this. Can you help me out? Can you, you know, and connect with him as a human rather than, you know, beating him up or something. And so that's what I referred to a lot of the times with the guys that I've interviewed and women is they're in the major leagues of influence. That's the major leagues of, of having to use these. And so we're, we're playing t-ball compared <laughs> to what they're having to do. Yeah. And so when somebody has like a conflict with their their coworker or something, it's like you can easily suspend your own shit for, you know, a 30-minute meeting yeah. in order to solve this issue with your coworker if that guy can talk face to face to the man that murdered his brothers in arms. Right. You know? Like you yeah. have the capability. And if you say you don't, then you're just lying. Got it. I think that makes sense, too, from the perspective of there's always time to judge, but there's not always time to be in that moment. Oh, what a good point. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah you can always and, – and, yeah, keep in mind, like, the guy never thought he's – now he's buddy-buddies with this terrorist. Not uh-huh. at all. Like, the guy had to go where he needed to go and be punished or whatever. But in those critical moments, you just need the temporary ego suspension where your ego is suspended above you like a balloon. Yeah. You still have the cord, you know, the little tie to bring it back down when you need it. But where this all came from was um, from theater and acting is that phrase of temporary suspension of disbelief. Mm-hmm. That you don't believe the movie or you don't believe the play unless you can temporarily suspend that disbelief. So you, in those moments, to connect and build rapport and and be curious about the, your fellow human being instead yeah. of judgmental, you can do that for a moment. Go home, bitch about it to your husband or your wife and say, that asshole, but at least we solved that problem. That's totally okay. But in the moment with the person you may not get along with, just you have to suspend all that for the greater good of right. whatever it is that you're trying to yeah. accomplish. So I've, I've literally been playing with, with, with ego detachment. Cool. Like, have have uh, right before I was here, where I was coming from, was the flotation tanks. Oh, okay. Have you heard about those? Yeah. Yeah, like Joe Rogan talks right, about right, them all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, you're in this tank, right? That's like the size of a Honda, and it's got like ten thousand pounds of Epsom salts, all skin temperature. It holds you up. Right. It's dark. You can't see anything. You got earplugs in. You can't hear anything. If yeah. you stay still, you literally can't feel anything. Right. So it's it's like you have, you're removed from your body, and all you are, are your thoughts. Right. And it's like it's the craziest experiences I have in there. Where yeah. sometimes it's um sometimes it's totally peaceful and relaxing. Sometimes it's freaking out. Sometimes it's like, how do I turn off my brain? Yeah. And it, oddly enough, some of the scariest times are when I stop literally thinking because it, it, I, I'm on this edge of a complete freak out because without that, it's like, what is that? I, I don't feel my body. I don't have any thoughts. There's nothing going on there. That's usually what people call Zen. It is, but and you're it's, calling it a freak out. What, what is the freak out? Like, it's just, you, you temporarily detach you, you, and you yeah. freak out from that second. Because of it's, it's this, I, I can't even describe the feeling, but you disappear because, you know, yeah. if we're pieced out and Zen here, you still know there's a couch here. You still, right, know, right, you, right. you know, you feel all those things, but imagine having all your senses taken away where you literally like don't even sense your body anymore. Mm, and then cool. you stop thinking and then it can kind of, it, it, it's weird. It, today it happened where, um, um, when I stopped thinking, there was a part of me that said, what if I can't come back? Because I'm going somewhere else. I don't know where I'm going. It's going right. into this oblivion. Right. And it, 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 it oddly enough feels like death. 
Right. Because I'm just going into pure state of nothingness. Yeah. And it's yeah. Freaky. It's cool. It's so interesting that you say that because I just uh, finished reading um, oh Ryan Holiday's book. Uh, the Obstacles of the Way? That's the one. It's and good? it's got a lot of Stoic philosophy in really? it. Really? And I, I've read Seneca and Marcus Aurelius and the, both those guys and a lot of the Stoics say that you should contemplate your own death like daily. And for some reason that never really stuck out to me before, but the way Ryan kind of brought it up in his book. Yeah. It was like, oh, I get it. Because I always thought the notion of contemplating your own death was like, so, you know, live today. Like, there's no tomorrow. <laughs> and and I always thought that that was kind of bullcrap because I've always been very future-oriented. Mm-hmm. So living in the moment. And honestly, like, if tomorrow's my last day, I would do so much debauchery. <laughs> there would be no coming back, back from it, you know? Really, we got to return to that. Like, right. <laughs> little footnote there, bookmark. <laughs> But the the way he put it was you should contemplate it so that it creates urgency in what you're doing and helps you see the beauty in the moment. It brings you back to the present moment with more urgency. And there's something about that was like, oh, now I get that. Because I always thought it was, um, oh, I also, James Altucher has a good one about that, about flipping the live today like there's no tomorrow. Yeah. He says... Um, Instead of thinking like today is your last day on earth, you should think about that it's your loved one's last day on earth. Mm. And then how would you treat people differently today? Wow, it's that's huge. a good twist. It's huge. Because my whole thing is, and, and you know this, but my company is Observe, Connect, Influence. There's yeah. three main stages of influence. You observe them, then you connect them with them, and you influence them. The connect portion is so critical yeah. and yet can be kind of... Uh, one of the more intangible parts of the whole lesson and yet that it made and it actually led to and you know this that um now when i go on long walks with my dog in the afternoon i used to just listen to podcasts yeah now i only listen to podcasts in the morning and then on the afternoon walks i ask myself who can i who can i call and so i call people that i haven't talked to in a long time right i've been calling my parents a heck of a lot more than i used to and it's because of that lesson that I heard James share is like, if today was their last day, how would you be different? Yeah. I thought that was huge. That's I thought awesome. it was beautiful. Awesome. Yeah. Let's, let's go back to your last day though. What are some of these debaucherous things you would do? <laughs> like, where's the shopping list on this one? <laughs> um, I would say, come on, dogs moving around. Um, I don't want. I, <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were having a conversation here. I honestly, this is gonna, it's, it's the most primal part <laughs> is, is that if today were my last day, I would just want to be having sex 24 seven until the, t- the clock runs but out. Serious, serious narcotics would not be involved in this. No, I've never, no. Well, there'd be wine. There'd be a lot of wine. But if they say, like, heroin is just the best thing ever and it trumps mm. sex, you wouldn't want to... Uh, no, no, I don't think so. They're, that's done with needles. Oh, you can snort it, too. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. See, I'm such a noob. <laughs> I'm such a noob. Um, no, I mean, I've... Even, like, with pot... See, here's the thing. I haven't had success with drugs in the past. Oh, so you're not good at drugs. I'm not good at drugs. <laughs> I, I have... Attempted to smoke marijuana four times, 
three or four times, and I've never had any effect whatsoever. Yeah. Like, even the friends around me, they're like, yeah, you're not getting... I'm like, no. And I've even had them, like, coach me. Like, but inhale, you never inhale, tried inhale, hold it. I did have a brownie once, mm. and that... It was... I, I did feel something that was disappointing. <laughs> I, uh... It was like... It was just chill. Like, my, my brain was totally normal, but my body was, like, kind of sleepy. You know, it just felt heavier, yeah. you know... And that wasn't the time, you know, I wanted the high where it's like, you're laughing at the dumbest stuff. That's what I wanted. <laughs> right. And so I haven't experienced that. Yeah. So, so drugs thus far have been disappointing and I've never been, here's the thing is like, even going out to clubs and stuff, I have always been mother hen. Like I've always been the most sober. I'm always the one checking in on my girls, making sure everybody's okay, making sure to see if anybody needs to be saved from some dude at the bar or something. And so I've just always been that responsible one, and and so any sort of mind altering thing, yeah, I I would have to be in a very safe environment. I guess if it's my last day, no, because then what if it goes wrong? I don't want my last day to be like <laughs> freaking out that the frogs in the walls are going to attack me from the melting lava on the floor or whatever. I I don't want that. That would be that. No, I'll, I'll stick with what I know. You know, I don't want to take a risk. Fair point. And be concerned about, yeah, no. Got it. So you just pretty much, you, you, you just take out your crush list and you just go yeah. find them as fast as possible. Yeah. Real much. <laughs> yeah. And I would totally guilt trip the shit out of them. <laughs> be like, I'm dying. I'm dying. You know, you got to do this. <laughs> well, you could try lying. <laughs> I could. I try could. it now. We're going to just. We've got a cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> I know no people. <laughs> That would be so funny if I actually called somebody up on this podcast. <laughs> and then some, I think it some poor fat. guy shows up. He's like, oh, oh, where is this not happening? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Just tell me wait a half hour. We'll be done. What would you do last day on Earth? Hmm. That's a good question. I probably would try. A bunch of different drugs to yeah. see different kind of altered states. I, I definitely, I'm not a big drug person. I've done a few of them, and I feel like they open other states of mind for me right. more than anything. Recreationally, I think, um, one, I don't think it's healthy, but two, it's like, I, I tend to like my mood, actually, most of the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, to me, it's it's the the, the few times I've done it, it's been a mind expander to a new level, mm -hmm. and, um, and that would be interesting. Um... You know what's, I mean, this may be a really weird answer, but, like, I wouldn't do a whole lot differently. Oh, come on. <laughs> Shut up, Mother Teresa. I'm happy to think, no. I'm not saying Mother Teresa, I just, I, I don't know, I'm, I don't, I, it's, it's funny, I'm not getting excited about the notion. You would, you would sit in front of your computer and write for your book and watch an old <laughs> No, I wouldn't do anything work-oriented, for sure, okay, that's for sure. I wouldn't do right. anything work-oriented. You know what's so funny, I saw Seth Rogen was on um, Bill Maher's show, mm -hmm. and you know, he's talking about how he gets high a lot, mm -hmm. and Bill Maher said something to the tune of, um, you know, do you, do you get high when you work? And he goes, he goes, of course, I wouldn't feel like working otherwise. Like, who right. wants to work? Right. I mean, he's got the best job in the world, yes. right? He still doesn't feel like doing it. Yeah. So, yeah, work just, yeah. Right. No work would be done. All right. So, like, what, you'd have lunch with family and friends and eat all the 
decadent food. You oh, wanted. that's something I deny myself a lot. I would definitely eat very, yeah. very decadent food. Yeah. I'd probably see how many um, uh, Boston cream donuts I could eat oh. in one sitting. Wow, that hardcore. Would, that would be <laughs> my main lining. <laughs> Those things are good. Have you had them? Uh, yeah, they're too sweet for me. Yeah. I'm not so much. I would. I would add to my list, like, definitely going out to an expensive restaurant yeah. and having, like, a seven-course meal or something. Like, mm. just every single... It'd be, like, $1,000 a plate by the end of the night. Like, yeah. I would just... Yeah. I would enjoy that a lot. I like I like good food. Mm. Really good food. But it's something, obviously, I don't treat myself to terribly often. So. You know what I would do in a heartbeat with that day is I would I would get one of those wing suits on that they that those yeah, yeah and like do the fly, base jumping just fly. yes I would do that too I thought about that I thought about saying skydiving but that felt like you're right I, the yeah. wing suit thing that's the way to go exactly yes definitely I agree with that that maybe drive like a Porsche as fast as it would go see what that's like yeah that's a dude thing to do mm. yeah that's cool. Did you have you had like a you had a list going? Where did your list go? Oh, uh, we were getting to some go? of the. T- I, I wrote it somewhere. I don't know oh, where I put what it. What happened? All right. Um. So what's new with you? What's new? I'm. You know what? I just got back from Austin, Texas. Oh, cool. And have you been there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Blows my mind. If you got if you haven't if you haven't been to Austin, Texas, you got to go because it's like. It's got so much soul, the food, the music, the people. Mm-hmm. Like, it felt like this promised land when I was there. Really? Yeah. You think like, about moving there now? I, I'm seriously thinking, I have so many friends and family in L.A. that I don't want to leave, but right. of spending a lot more time there. Right. Like, throwing events. Like, when I was in, in Vegas with Zappos, like, there was a certain magic to Vegas at that time where it would draw people, you know, because it's Vegas. Mm-hmm. And then the downtown project became about downtown and I realized with events like the city can do half the work for you Mm. and there's something about Austin where people go and they just feel this connection to soul and so I would want to actually host events in Austin nice that's a good place to do it too yeah yeah they got a lot of news and stuff and yeah Austin's good I like Austin yeah and I've been talking to people there and other places about this um this is what I was going to mention to you too like where I see public speaking evolving to. Right. So the analogy I use is going from rock to hip hop. Okay. Because rock is all about the rock star. You know, it's it's the Tony Robbins. It's the one at the front on top of the stage like like, like creating the show, yes. right? Hip hop gets into this really collaborative vibe. Yes. You know, people can jump on each other's albums. Yes. They 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 help they love working with each other, they hang out with each other. And to me that's the evolution I want to see happen with speaking. Oh, I like that. And so it's less about us sharing a stage where it's like, now Robert Richmond, now Sheree Alexander, now, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, that's just a lineup of rock stars. That's just, you know, a music festival, essentially. Right. But, and I, I honestly, I don't know what this looks like, but it's going to, I believe, look a lot more like improv comedy than it does public speaking. Really? Yeah. Well, okay. Is that I, where I yes. lost you? No, I, I'm with you, though, because it, there's a few biases that came out of that. Really? (laughs) Um, One is, I think there are many speakers who claim that they can just get up and talk without anything Uh pre-planned and they're still amazing at it. Yeah. 
there's plenty of speakers who say that. Yeah. Now, the ratio of those who actually are good at it, I think, is less than 10%. Um, the ones that I think are good at it, it's because they know their content so well. Yeah. But the vast majority of, of speakers, they talk on a lot of different things, or they just like to speak, so they'll say, do you talk on such and such? Yeah, I talk on such and such. So I think that that plays a big part in it. Um, so so that part of the improv comedy, I guess, is what kind of got to me. I was like, I don't know if it's that, but what was the other thing you said it's, of... See, here, here's the thing about the improv comedy, though, is that having taken several rounds of classes in it, it's it's amazing how much, to me... It's more about the connection and relationships than the individual talent. Right. But then what you're talking about isn't necessarily speaking or keynoting. It sounds more, and this is where, this is what the realm that I prefer to live in is uh, workshops, training, facilitation. That's, that's my sweet spot. Mm-hmm. I'll do a keynote. I can do a keynote, but I love the connection. And that's, and that's where I'll, yeah, I've done improv as well. And, that's where that training becomes so handy is where you can learn how to handle the group, how to lead them, how to feed off of them, how to, because it is more interactive. Yeah. But there's a limit to that. You know, the interactive groups, you can cap out at, I mean, I don't know, 100, 150. And and that's a different, but for like the arena type of events, right. That's not going to happen. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you're. De- I, I I definitely agree with you. It's it's. I I can see it working way easier with a small, less than one hundred and fifty group. Right. Um, but I, can, I think that's where groups get their better value. Absolutely. I mean, it's absolutely. like you go pay twenty. It's like the speech that you hear at an arena event. No offense to anybody that doesn't, but that value from those speeches are yeah. like. 25 bucks. It's like the cost of going to the movie with popcorn and stuff. Right. It's You're entertained, you feel a difference, and then that's going to be gone later on. I'm not discounting that. I think that that's nice and important of part of life, but true value of changing a perspective or yeah. skill set, it has to be in a smaller group of more workshop-esque, training-esque situations. And what, what, what's the highest value one that you've experienced of that nature? Oh... Or a high value one, maybe not the highest. Led by one person, or or by, multiple, just an experience, the, the whatever event. the experience was. Well, the best event I've ever attended, just hands down, was Tim Ferriss's event um, where I met our mutual friend Joey mm-hmm. Coleman, um, and that was in uh, the Napa area. It was a few years ago, but it was just a high quality event with. The majority, not all the speakers, but the good majority of the speakers were all solid. And Tim did a really good job of the speakers that he he interviewed quite a few people. Mm -hmm. And the value from those was so just phenomenal. He really got to the nuts and bolts of how they did these things rather than the, I attended an event not too long ago where they did interview style. And it was nice, but it was all... You know, 30,000 foot view stuff. It's like I, I've heard this person say this on 20 podcasts that they've been interviewed on. Yeah. I paid money for this event because I wanted the behind the curtains view of things. So that's that's content. That's tips. Like what on an experiential level has been the best? Oh, well, I mean, 
in regards to the feelings or emotion or just kind of the overall thing? Well, I'll, I'll give you an example on my end. So, unless you have one coming to mind. Well, I mean, I hate to talk it up again, but again, Tim just did a really good job, or and his meeting people did a really good job of, in addition to the content, he facilitated connection mm. really well. So, all of the speakers had to stay for the entire event, so we had breakfast, lunch, and dinner with all of the speakers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, the speaker spoke, and then they're sitting in the audience with you. I thought that was great. And then at night, I mean, it was it was a hefty some meeting it was it was i think we paid eight grand to go so but at night but you you saw your money put to good use at night we went to all these amazing venues um around napa and again it facilitated even more connection rather than Mm -hmm. and and there was no hallway chat like most events where people are the better part of business is really done in the hallways yeah he didn't allow any of that it was it was like you were in a, a college master class huh and so yeah i'll try to think of another one but but you had one um yeah i just went to one called gamma by by jesse elder in in, in austin that's what i was there oh, okay. for and um we we'd met at mastermind talks mm-hmm. jason gaynor's event mm-hmm. and we both connected because we said how much we really like experiential learning mm-hmm. and he said he learned about it um through MMA fighting. He mm. said, you know, I could study a roundhouse kick, but mm. you get that from somebody. You get kicked by somebody like, oh, that's what that is. Right. And you just know it in your body, right? right? So one of the things we started with was what he called Fight Club, where we got, mm-hmm. ba- like, gloves mm-hmm. on, got the bags on, started fighting. And mm-hmm. um, um, one of the things that just blew my mind was, at first we were just punching the bag, like left, right, bag, you know, somebody's holding it. Mm-hmm. And then he had two people... Um, doing anything they could to take us away from the bag or distract us. So they pull our leg, put your hand in front of your eyes, pull your hair, anything. Huh. And he said, all you're going to do is focus on that bag. And I punch love it. that. And it blew my mind. I love because that. when you were so focused on the bag, it didn't matter, matter what anybody what else did to you. Yeah. And the thing that was really unanticipated was it was way more fun having people try to take me off the target oh, I love that. than just having an easy target. Oh my gosh, that's great. It was so cool. That's a that's powerful. Yeah. Because that's one of the reasons why I picked up the book Obstacles Away is because I've been feeling a lot of, in its vast majority, internal obstacles that I've been battling. And, and that's, I feel like I was just really happy that that book came into my life at the right moment. Um, but that's, I love that. That's even more fun and you're more worthy of getting the target yeah. when something's trying to take it away right. from you. Yeah. I love that. Ricky Gervais says that quite often mm. is because he didn't achieve success until he was like in his early forties or something. Yeah. So he talks a lot about that. He's happy that it took that much longer because he had to earn it, you know, it right. didn't come easy to him and it did come up to him at a younger age. And so there's definitely something to that. Yeah. For sure. That's really cool. It was really, really cool. Great That's group of people. Awesome. Yeah. I want to see if I can steal that idea in some way <laughs> without completely ripping it off. <laughs> That's awesome. And so he was an MMA fighter originally. Yeah. An amazing story. Such an incredible story. Nice. Is yeah. he going to be on one of your podcasts? I hope so. That's a great idea. Yeah. Didn't think of it until now. Yeah. yeah. That should definitely happen. I got to ask, since we're in the flow of the conversation, is there any aspect of the internal struggle you'd be comfortable mm-hmm. talking about? 
Um, sure. Um, I mean, just the overall procrastination demon. Mm. Um, I'm really good at finding something else to do or, well, and I mean, I've, I've struggled with depression pretty much as far back as I can remember around the age of 12. So that's always kind of been a, something I have to be aware of and manage. And what do you think it is? Not, not for you personally, okay. but like what is depression? depression? Oh man, I, that's above my pay grade. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's a lot of different things. I think it's, there's, it can be chemical. It can be a lot of chemical imbalance at being a part of it. And, or it can be psychological that depression could have been modeled for you for a vast majority of your life. So you've seen that and, and that's how, that's how many people in your life coped with things. But you don't think it comes down to a certain belief that's at play, that's running the show? Mm. Not, not in my personal experience. Well, okay, yes, but I don't think it's a single belief for everybody. Like, I don't think it's one belief that's right. the through line for everybody. Yeah. So, I mean, when when I'm in that dark place, I do hear certain tapes that play over and over. Yeah. And that's difficult to, it's a process to cut them out. Right. Um. Yeah, but I, I, I guess I struggle with saying belief because, I don't know, I feel like my what gets me out of the dark place is I have beliefs and values that ultimately trump that, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and I have a, a really phenomenal friend and coach, Sabrina Boleyn, who guides me through a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And the way she talks about it is... um and a lot of spiritual people talk about this way as well, is that a lot of those negative tapes, that's that's your ego talking. That's not your true self. That's your yeah. this this other part of yourself. That's your societal self. That's your whatever. Yeah. And and instead of trying to fight that and combat it, which sometimes leads to fatigue or shame or guilt because you have these thoughts like oh, that's a bad thing, but it's inside of me, it's part of me, so then you mm. feel shame because of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One thing that has helped is like you just simply acknowledge and release. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, I, I hear you. That's there. I acknowledge that. What if there's a different, you know, how can I try? And there's a bunch of different like mental strategies that I, I kind of have to turn to to help me through it. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's always, she always kind of helps me through it by saying that's, you know, that's the ego and ultimate, oh, and this is something I've learned in NLP that's helped me a lot. I've been mm. doing a lot more of uh, self-hypnosis mm-hmm. and um, I'm trying to think of how to whittle it down for this, but the basic idea is that that is a part of you and ultimately every part of you is trying to serve you in some way. Mm. Now, it's it may go, be going about it in an ineffective way, but at its core, that part of you is trying to help you. Now, for me, I think some things that have come from that, exploring that, is that that part of me is trying to protect me from fear or potential pain or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And and that and so once you see the good, it's the same thing that I, oh my gosh, I just now realized this. <laughs> it's the same thing that I teach people about connecting and influencing other individuals, is even though that person's going about it a way you wouldn't go about doing that, or whatever it is, then 
still at their core, they're doing the best that they can. Yeah. They're, they're doing it out of a place that's ultimately a good place. They just don't know other mechanisms to, you know, go through something. And so that part of you ultimately has a good intention. And so if you, there's some different hypnosis and discover, you can ask that part, like, what are you trying to accomplish? What do you, tell me how you're trying to help me. How are you trying to serve me? And you get a response back and it's, I'm trying to protect you. I'm trying to, you know, whatever it is. And then you say, thank you for that. And then you turn to other parts within yourself and you say, I need you to be stronger right now. I need you to step up or, you know, how can you serve me? And then, and you can make the, the dark place part smaller and the more helpful part bigger. And there's just these different kind of mental techniques you can go through that make it's, it's basically talking to your subconscious. Mm. It's a way to talk to your subconscious and then work things out. And it has really helped me a lot. A lot. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, there's a self-hypnosis thing, a routine kind of that I've been going through recently. So what would somebody Google if they wanted to find that? Oh, man. I don't know. I've got it from so many different sources. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, a great place to start in general is neuro-linguistic programming. And so there's a well-known book. It's like Principles of NLP that you can pick up. It won't go into this part. But what I, this, this side of NLP, I've learned from getting certified mm -hmm. in neurolinguistic program, programming. So I don't know literature. Yeah. The, be, the best part it. I learned about it was, um, the idea that neurolinguistic programming is language programs your brain. Right. So when somebody says, I am depressed, the mm. brain programming language says, I equals depressed, meaning mm -hmm. there's no difference between my identity and right. depression. This is yourself. And right. that you slowly move out of that by... So I'm feeling depressed. I have emotions of depression ex currently. Exactly. Right. And then even to, like, I think where it becomes most helpful is getting as almost scientific as you can. Like, I feel what? Tired. Right. I feel like anything, and, and notice that they're just feelings. They're just feelings. And emotions are always fluid. Mm -hmm. That's a big thing, especially for people that, if anybody suffered from depression, is that it feels so permanent. Yeah. It feels like this is never going to go away. And and having that part of yourself that says, this is an emotion, you go through it, you know, I, um, even through breakups, I feel like anybody that goes through a really bad breakup, you feel that, like, Oh my God, my world has collapsed. I, yeah. you know, I've spent so much time with this person. We did all these activities. Now all of a sudden that's severed and gone. And what is my life right now? And it feels right. like that's going to feel that way forever. So I, and it's I, only a few weeks. Yeah, I, well, I, I was in the deep throes of one of those and I talked to my mentor and I explained the whole thing. Yeah. After, you know what his response was to me? What? He goes, good. I wish you three more of these. <laughs> that was his response. Why? I was like 25 at the time and I was like, yeah, I had that exact same response. And I, I now I see it though. Like right. I realized you just, had three more. Yeah. Okay. Um, just how much I was getting my identity and sense of self-worth from another yeah. person. Yeah. yeah and that true. it takes that kind of chopping off right. to be like, look, this is not you. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, and I think, I mean, I haven't found my one true love yet in life, but I have this theory that because of all the pain or the issues of those past relationships, then I'll be even more thankful and grateful and appreciative and, you know, really, truly appreciate the amazing thing whenever it is I find it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I think in my first 
long-term relationship, it, it came so easy. It, I mean, we were really good together. Um, and I think in some ways I just kind of was like, oh yeah, this is totally easy and fine. Like it, it but it, cause I didn't know anything different. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah. So I think definitely life experiences shaded that. And I love that about relationships is you, not only are you learning about that other person, but I find that relationships reveal different things about yourself and i love that i love that i think that that's so cool what's the most recent thing you learned about yourself oh in a relationship type scenario or otherwise oh. <laughs> 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 uh, most re- say it again the most recent thing i've learned that about you myself? learned about yourself yeah um I, this comes to no surprise, but I guess it was really ingrained, it, I don't know, it, it solidified in a different way, mm-hmm. and this, this comes from a relationship scenario, but I I just value communication. I I know that sounds like a surface level blase answer coming from a communications yeah. expert, but what I mean by that is in my last relationship, um, like I don't fight. I've never fought in a relationship. Huh. I don't have fights because yeah. I feel like once you get to that emotional place where your your rat brain is taking over, then yeah. you're no longer effective in this communication, and that's where a lot of hurtful things get said. Right. So I've had people say hurtful things to me, but I, I refuse to do so because I know the cut it has on me, and I just can't bring myself to... If I want to cut somebody, I'm really good at like if the pen is mightier than but the sword. But when you want something so intimate that you could go there, I mean, granted, not often, but like that you could bring all of yourself to the table, even that. No, because I feel like that's not a part of myself. I don't think I don't think it's essential. I think to openly, and this is what I mean by communication is so important for me is that to to honestly express your needs and emotions and your sadness or your anger or being upset, yeah. that's okay. But that's not a fight. A fight is when I am so angry and upset that I'm going to turn the tables on you and then somehow make it your fault or place blame on you or or cut you just so I feel more empowered in this situation. Mm-hmm. I don't do that. I don't do that at all. And and so my last relationship, he it's like he wants his natural inclination was to go to fight. Yeah. And I think that's just because of his background or whatever. That's fine. Um, but then the other thing that he did was he walked away, walked away from, from conversations. Mm -hmm. And I just, it, I've never had that happen before. And it just went all over me. It was just like my entire body was just shaking with the, what the hell are you doing? (laughs) Like you just don't do that. It's the ultimate sign of disrespect for me. Mm. And and if he had said, like, I just need a moment to take things right. through, that's different. Yeah. It's different yeah. than just walking out. Yeah. And so that's what I mean is communication for me is a sign of respect. It's a sign of emotional intelligence. It's a sign of love. Yeah. And and that's that's what I mean. So I feel like it's not as surface of an answer as it first appears Got to it. be. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. What's your recent... Uh, Self-realization. My recent one is, um, you know, I, I I very much would like to be in a relationship and partnership. And 
I haven't had one last longer than nine months mm-hmm. in my life. And um, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase because this is new as of like yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, is that I've got this um, this part of me that just wants to run when it gets close. And Ooh. yeah, and it, it's hard for me to even tell. The emotion is so strong; it's hard for me to even tell if it's me or if it's them or if right. I'm getting away from a, a bad situation. Is it or just what, a pattern? Or, yeah, right. like where that's coming from. And right. so, um, I realize that's part of what I'm actually going to the tanks for mm. the flotation tanks because there are such moments where I just want to shoot out of that thing and get mm. out of there. My heart will be racing fast. I'll be mm-hmm. like, you know, losing sensation or. Um, um, at times it's really scary. This last time, there were just some incredibly boring moments where I was sick of hearing the thoughts in my head. Yeah. Like, all there were were the thoughts in my head. And I was like, I want to do anything but just sit oh, in the dark this. and listen to these thoughts. Wow, I love that. And I just sat there and sat with them. Yeah. And I was actually, like, envisioning kind of the image of of a partner and, like, and, and connecting with that desire and yeah. saying, okay, I am going to be with this right now. And, um, so I can build up this, this muscle. Yeah. 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 That's cool. Thank you. I, so the envisioning of that person, what kind of comes to mind? Um, it, it, what, what comes to mind is that like, it's almost like this fear that I could have something that I really want and I will be the reason it doesn't work out because of, of that like instinct for some reason to flee. Right. And, um, and that like now while I'm in this place of not wanting to jump, this is where I can do like, this is where my dojo is, this is where my training is. And, um, and it, 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 It feels like it's some kind of muscle training around not reacting. Mm-hmm. Like that it'll, I, I, I can sit in the moment long enough. I actually said to myself in the tank, I said, I can, I will only let myself get out during this if I want to stay in. So if there's a moment where I want to go out, I can't get out. If oh, I'm enjoying it, yeah. then I can. Right, right, right. I get So that. like rewiring my brain yes. to the experience. Yeah, no, that's good. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe one of those next steps is like figuring out when you feel that need to flee outside of the tank, like figuring out kind of your, your coping mechanism or your, your operational system, you know, like your, your plan, like what is the plan for when this happens? So that way you don't give in to the, the reaction, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I don't know what that would be. I'm just, I feel like that. Yeah. I, I don't know either. I think it's, it's, it's for me, it's just, um, getting really comfortable with uncomfortable feelings mm. and on that level. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, but we'll always have uncomfortable feelings. Um, it's interesting. I, 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 I agree. And I don't because mm. like you said, the belief is, is just like conditioned thought. Like mm-hmm. we keep we, any habit. It's just something that we do over and over again. Any right. thought, something we do over and over again. And something I learned about, um, um, Leadership was somebody said leaders make a pattern uh, or a habit out of doing things they don't want to do. And then that habit makes it easier. Right. You know what I mean? So I think, I don't know. I've, I've, ever since I've been going to these tanks, I've been feeling really good. Yeah. Like way more relaxed. And I think you can actually entrain and, and become this habit of 
actually enjoying yourself regardless of the situation. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Absolutely. I feel like that's what I'm, I'm still working on it, but I feel like that's what meditation and the self hypnosis stuff does for me is for when those moments happen, I can easily do a quick check in. And then it's like, it's like I can almost feel the brain waves shift for yeah. a moment. Like they just go, oh, okay. And then it doesn't, now how long that moment lasts kind of depends on different situations, but I always know that that's an anchor I can always turn back to when I need to. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I think everybody needs to make it a part of their practice in some regard. Well, this, this like, uh, my, my mentor Dan had told me that, um, I think he got this from the trader Ed, Ed Sakota that we are, our operating system is run by the emotions that we don't want to feel. Mm, so mm -hmm. the emotions that we don't want to feel, we will do something else in order not to feel that. Right. And so that's our operating system. Right. And, um, my friend, uh, Renita, she, um, she'd gone to so much self help seminars and just all, and, and, and really well put together woman, mm -hmm. like has her shit together, successful, beautiful, like all these lists of goals and mm -hmm. was just feeling stuck with it. And then I you started to see just her Facebook light up where like meeting love of her life, like business mm -hmm. taking off in a huge way and like mm -hmm. all these synchronicities happening. It was just exploding with, with joy and, and happiness. And I said, what was it? Like, yeah. what was the switch? Because I'm seeing yeah. a switch here. You know what she said? Yeah. She said, she said it was really simple. She said, I would take the list of everything I have to do. She said, I'd find the thing that I really don't want to do, and I would do that first. She ate the frog first. And then find the next one. Right. And then the next one, and then the next one. And she said, that was the greatest spiritual practice she discovered. Oh, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> So you thought it was like a certain kind of wine, didn't oh, you? God, like, is it, is it Cabernet? Which I, one is it? Hey, I would wish that the Dalai Lama would stand up and say, look, folks, the answer is wine. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was hoping it was some meditative practice. No, but you, eating the frog first. Yeah. All right. All right. Fine. Fine. <laughs> fine. Frog for breakfast. <laughs> frog for lunch. Uh, frog for dinner. Until there's no more frog. Fine. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> All right. Well, good. That's amazing. That's a really cool. But I like I like that that's a different perspective on it though of it was the most amazing spiritual practice. I've never looked at it as a spiritual practice. Every time I've heard about cuz I think it was Mark Twain that said you eat the frog first or whatever. Um and anytime I've heard that to me it always resonated as a um I don't know, kind of like you go to battle, you, you're, it's, it's training, it's discipline, this is what you, it's, it felt more like a fight, mm. and it's like, okay, you win that, you win that fight first. And, and I've always, growing up, for whatever reasons, that, that fight mentality has been a big part of it, and it's only been within the last few years that I've realized how ineffective that, that mental model is for me in mm. many different ways. Yeah. And so I think that that's one of the reasons why that, that adage never resonated with me, but turning it into more of a spiritual experience, I I can jive with that. I can jive with that. Because what I've discovered for me with it is that those things I don't do are actually taking up energy within me. Yes. It's taking energy not to oh, do. Oh, completely. Them. Completely. Yeah. And then once it's done, no, it's, it's just like working out. It's, I mean, yeah, there are times when I look forward to working out and all that stuff. I'm happy to drive to the gym, but of course there are those days where it's just like, ugh. 
But mm. once it's, I don't know why I sound like Order, Arnold Schwarzenegger out there. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to work out. Not today. <laughs> That's really good. Um, but but after every time I've gone and done it, then I leave feeling great and I'm so happy I've done it. Yeah. So it's the exact same thing. It's just kind of figuring out how to anchor that positive sensation better so you're more willing to want to do it or I don't know, but... But yeah, definitely making it a spiritual practice mm-hmm. makes it more intriguing to me. Yeah. For sure. Because then it doesn't feel like a battle. And if I don't do it, then I don't feel like I've lost. I've, maybe that's a big thing. Is because then if it doesn't get done, it's like, then it, I don't, I don't, well, I don't know what that would be. But yeah, it wouldn't feel like a failure. Mm. It would be something different. Something to be curious about, to examine. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. I like that. Now, tell me about this mentor situation. Is this like a formal mentorship or is this like a mentorship that grew out of just kind of casually? Or I'm, um, I'm curious about this mentor world. Yeah. They, it, for me, it always happens organically. Like mm-hmm. they, It's like they show up. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the first one I, I, I told you about when I was 25... Um, he was literally looking for people to, to, uh, like companies to mentor and they found my company through it. Um, oddly enough, I was, I was working at a homeless, uh, soup kitchen Mm -hmm. and they, they, for some reason wanted me to talk to this one guy and I would talk to him and it was like, he he was my mentor. He was psychic Mm. about my life. Mm. I don't know how, Mm. but he would just know what was going on in this weird way and would tell me things and. And then this most recent one, Dan, he, he came to Zappos and he just had the best questions. Talk about having really interested questions. He mm-hmm. just had amazing questions. And I learned a lot about consulting through him because I learned that the best consultants, they never even pitch you. Because I said to him, how do I take what you're teaching me and bring it into my team? Right. How do I pay you money to get right. you in here? And I did. Uh, we did some training with the team. Um and he, I call him the Obi-Wan Kenobi of culture because mm. he's been, he's seen everything. He knows everything and he just drops these bits of knowledge and, and just gives me such wisdom. Um, little things like one of his lines was, uh, um, ask for help when you're on the way up because when you're on the mm. way down, it's too late. Mm. And uh, so we've worked together on projects. Um, it's just, it, I, I don't know. For me, it's always been a real natural. That's evolution. cool. That's cool. Cause I've had mentors in the past, but it feels like there, that's been a, Kind of a hole for me of, oh, in the last two years, I'd say, as I haven't had that mentorship. I've had I've had kind of angels, you know, that have swooped in and helped and, and given me, yeah. but, but never, but not somebody I felt like I could really turn to and, and not feel guilty about <laughs> turning to them and saying, yeah. So I've always been curious about that. Yeah. I, I, I actively, and talked about this once on a, another podcast, but... I actively sought out a mentor once and he was very excited about it. It was just like, yeah, definitely, definitely. And then, you know, life gets in the way and I'm not going to push the issue, of course. Right. And so, yeah, I find that, I find that relationship fascinating and I'd love to mentor somebody, but. Have you ever done it? Um, not in a formal capacity, you know, I've, I don't know. Um, no, I, I guess I wouldn't say that because anybody I have quote unquote mentored, Thus far, it's been more in a peer-to-peer yeah. situation, so it's more like mastermind-esque yeah. than than I would say mentorship. Right. Other than, I mean, yeah, there's the people I coach and the people I consult, but that's not. Yeah. It's a different type of mentoring. I feel is a like coaching in a different regard. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I bet you could mentor some millennials. I think they need a ton of mentoring. Maybe. And they like it. I mean, they I'm like one of them. Learning and what? I'm a millennial. You are. Yeah. You're on, you're on like the, the older end, though, right? <laughs> Screw you. You are. <laughs> uh, talking technically. Um, I don't. I don't know. I'm definitely a, middle, a millennial. Probably on the what? What are the range? Do you know the dates? The ranges? I guess it's born um, like 1980 to 2000. Oh yeah, so I'm on the older ish. Yeah. Because well, if it's eighty, then even my brother's a millennial. Yeah, I guess he's a millennial. What year are you born? Uh, eighty three. Eighty three. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm a. But I'm so I I've been recently to some talks of some millennial experts. For some reason, it's coming in on all angles for me. Really? Part of it may be because I I, I took a post at uh, um, the American Jewish University as a um, chair of the business program, mm. and. So it involves mentoring students. Mm-hmm. and But I'm really realizing, though, I think the bigger issue is they're going to dominate this earth. Right. Like, they are t- they're going to take over, and they're going to be the only generation to really have a means to connect to each other worldwide with right. the internet the right. first time. Um, and uh, they, they, you know, they've grown up in a world, you've grown up in a world, <laughs> <laughs> where everything's changeable, everything on a screen is changeable, things happen like the USSR goes down mm-hmm. in a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, at like, they, they really feel they can create anything they want. Mm-hmm. And I think it's true to a certain extent, and it's not. Right. Like, it's kind of, we're not quite there in the world that they dream of. And there are these weird kind of idiosyncrasies of it. Like, they were talking about how it's it's a common occurrence now for millennials to bring their parents to job interviews. What? Yes. Like, this is why you're on the older end of it, because, like, you don't do that kind of thing. What? Like, not just mom and dad are dropping me off no, at the job No, no, they're at the interview. And they say, what? They're just, like, their parents are now so involved in kids' lives, way well, more than before. That's the parents' fault. But it's happening as a generation. Well, then it's a generation of parents' <laughs> fault. Like, that's just dumb. No, yeah, no, I do not agree with that. I also don't agree with the whole... Let's play a sport and then nobody wins and nobody loses. <laughs> right. That's bullshit. Yeah. I hate that. Because that's not, yeah. No. When I was in uh, grade school. So maybe it's not the millennials' problems. It's the gen, what is it, Y, who's over <laughs> at interactive with their, they're over involved in their kids' lives and trying to coddle too much. Right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. One of them was even saying they will ask, like, what role parents will play in their workplace because their parents are part of their whole lives, so they're obviously going to be part of their lives now, too. Wow. Like, I was I was incredulous at first until somebody in the audience said, yep, that's been happening at our workplace, wow. too. Wow. Yeah. I don't know what to so say to that. Bizarre. That's crazy. The only experience, like, I, I'm a regular lecturer at USC, uh-huh. and in the past, every time that I've I've done my speech there, I've always said, and I have internships available with my company if you're interested in in x y or z parts of what i do then you know let's talk and i've had the handful of the kids raise their hand but their follow-through is just abysmal it's it just doesn't work and i've always kind of chalk that up to well I mean they're college kids you know I think I did stupid stuff like that in college because I didn't know any better I didn't know that you're supposed to follow up in an email like three days or less depending on whatever and like right I and so I always just kind of chalked it up to the fact that they're still in college 
I don't know. Maybe it is a millennial thing. I, I don't know. I don't know. They're, they're, I don't know. They seem like good kids, but I only, <laughs> I see them once a semester. So it's not like I'm overly yeah. involved. I was just thinking back to grade school when like, um, what if two kids got into a fight, mm-hmm. like they would, I'm not, I'm not using any exaggeration. They would literally give them each boxing gloves and headgear. Nice. And they would duke it out. Nice. Like, I'm okay with that. Yeah. I mean, it's not kind of, you can't ever see that happening. Oh, day, right? no, no, no. Yeah, definitely. That's so funny about the parents thing because I feel like a big part that shaped my life was, uh, it was when I was going into middle school and there was a whole situation of like, we were, we were in a completely different town for where I was supposed to go to school, but we were moving into a house and the house wasn't ready or available. I don't remember all that, but anyway, the, my parent, my mom had to drive us half an hour to school every day. And so if I left my homework at home, there was no saving me. Like, you know, she, right. she had to go to work and yeah. there was no way she's on her lunch break going to drop it by. Like it, there were so many instances like that where it was pretty early on. It was like, you're on your own. You know, you gotta, you gotta take responsibility. You gotta do what you're supposed to do and get your stuff together. And, um, so yeah, I, I've that whole now, keep in mind, I had very active parents in my life, and they're great, and they're wonderful. Um, but that overactive parent, mm-hmm. I mean, they're involved in my life. They always have been, but they're not They're not coddlers, yeah. you know? I was never coddled in any regard. Now, granted, it was a way different world back then, but I'm always amused by the story of Richard Branson growing up. I think he was like you know, seven, six years old or something, and his mom just like, Drove him like miles out and just dropped him and said, "Okay, find right. your way home." Right, and he found his and he found his way home and he right. and it's so funny because he gets there and it's like this is miraculous. I got here and right. his mom says, "Yeah, get get the ta- get the plates for dinner, right. set up for dinner." That's right? awesome. Yeah, That's he became awesome. self sufficient really early. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, you have to at some point. One thinks. <laughs> one, I don't know. I don't know what the future holds. That's that's way too big for me. Not, what does your future hold? Oh dear, um, let's see. It holds. This is the end of the world question. This is this assuming is the, the, the world the, keeps going. The world keeps spinning. Yes. Um, I'm I'm still I'm working on my book and and looking forward to. Is that your frog? Getting that going. It's it's one of my many frogs. I have mm. many frogs. Um, and this is the, I mean this is just like honestly the idea itself is pretty new but I'm thinking about hosting a live event in 2015 cool. for the first time cool. so it'll probably be like I'm thinking like August or September yeah um, yeah I think that'll be really cool but my main focus right now in addition to of course going to associations and companies for speaking is I launched a membership program a few months oh, ago. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. I am in love with it. And mm-hmm. and the group is amazing. And it has become... I have resisted creating that monthly membership model for yeah. many long, long time and for many different reasons. Because I've seen so many people do it so poorly. Right. And one of the reasons why I never liked them is because they were so automated. Yeah. Like the expert, they're just sending you a PDF right. for... Right. You know, my program is 100% live. Yeah. Like the first and third Wednesday of the month, I am talking to my people and mm-hmm. and they ask me questions. And I I have found such joy in that, like what you were talking about, that, that back and forth yeah. and that improv type of thing. Um, 
that that's that, honestly, I feel like that's just going to be a really big push for me is I want to get that bigger and bigger because I get so much joy out of it and they get so much value. Like, um, last time on the call, we had somebody who landed a big sales deal because of the coaching from the program and somebody else right now is, uh, in the middle of wanting to land a job, uh, a new job. So they're going through the job interview process and cool. just helping people achieve their goals and through communication. I, it just, it fills me up, you know, it fills me up. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So if they want to find out about your stuff or they want to be on your end of the world crush list, then uh, <laughs> where do they, where do they find you? End of the world crush list. My number is five, five, five. Um, so I'm, I'm on the interwebs, the, the internets and, um, you can, you can find me at observeconnectinfluence.com. That leads you to Sheree, S-H-A-R-I hyphen Alexander.com and everything's there, the blog and, um, Influence HQ is the coaching program and, and that's on the main, the homepage of under group coaching and, um, yeah, you know, and I blog and all that good stuff, so. Cool. Yeah, that's that's my that's the hub. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for being on Culture Hackers. Woohoo! Thank you. It's fun to talk to you. <laughs> you thanks too. for having us here at uh, headquarters. Influence headquarters. <laughs> <laughs> the security here is incredible. I know my ten pound dog almost <laughs> didn't, didn't let you cross the cross the threshold. <laughs> All right, thanks, Sharif. Thank you. It was fun. <laughs>